What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine podcast. This is episode 40. I'm your host, Riley. This week, we got the second major of the year. We're at Kiwa Island, Carolina, for the PGA Championship. Cannot wait for this show. We got so much to talk about the PGA Championship. We're going to go over the course pretty much hole by hole. We have a bunch of guys to talk about. I have Obviously, Rory's on this list. We're going to talk about Spieth a little bit, JT for sure, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Reed. We got some more guys. We got a couple more long shots, I guess, if you want to call it that. I don't know if anybody really coming into this week with a bunch of form is an underdog because there's a lot of guys usually in that like lower tier that are playing really good golf right now. So there's just so many names to look at. It's really exciting. Kiwa Island Ocean Course is phenomenal. It is one of the hardest golf courses in America. So it's going to be a test for these guys. The weather looks pretty good. The wind can pick up a lot in that area. But it looks like it's going to be pretty moderate. Like it's going to blow, but right around 10 to 15 pretty much all week. It's going to be coming from the east. We're going to go over how that affects everything. Uh, so the PGA Championship, that's awesome. We're going to talk a little bit about the AT&T Byron Nelson. Cage Lee gets his first PGA Tour win. Really gutsy performance. Played well all week long. He's showed signs pretty much all year that he was in pretty good form. And this week, especially on Sunday when the weather was really bad, he played just great golf. Big-ish names chasing him. I mean, Jordan was there, but he had a kind of a crappy Sunday. Sam Burns, who was just come over, uh, coming off of his first PGA Tour win at the Valspar, was right there. Patton Gazire, who's won. Daniel Berger was right there, too, making a charge. I think he shot 64 on Sunday. Charles Schwartzel. So there were some names. But we're going to talk about KH Lee. Our betting, not good. I don't think we hit a single bet this week. Um, Scotty Scheffler ended up not playing great. He shot, I think, like 66 and then 70 or something like that. And then over the weekend, he just did not play great. Will Zalatoris had a great weekend but started like crap. And then Aaron Wise had a huge Thursday and then did nothing after that. So none of our bets hit. That sucks. We'll go over that, um, obviously, before we get into the PGA Championship. But we're looking to bounce back this week at the PGA. The only headline I have, which is not late news, I guess, but it was it came out after the show was released last week that Jordan Spieth actually had COVID. He had COVID-19 and he had symptoms. Uh, the last start before this week was actually the Masters, which makes sense now. I mean, if you have COVID, obviously you can't play. And he announced it, I think, oh, I don't, I don't want to call it announced it, but uh, in his press conference, I think that was the first time we heard Jordan had COVID. So that was a little bit scary. Obviously, he had some symptoms for the first like day and a half. He said that it was pretty rough. And then after that, for the next four or five days, it was kind of just more on the annoying side, like loss of energy wasn't didn't have, you know, his body didn't feel right to go out and play golf. So he didn't play, obviously. So yeah, that was the only headline I had. Jordan Spieth had COVID. That sucks. But I mean, he had a pretty damn, he had a top 10 at the AT&T Byron Nelson. So I think he's going to be fine going into the PGA Championship. So Speaking of the AT&T, let's get into that real quick. Cage Lee, again, in his 80th start on the PGA Tour, gets his first win, shot 25 under over the four days, which is just really ridiculous. Like I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, how bad Sunday really was. Like Sunday, they had a delay. They were squeegeeing the greens because of the rain. The water was just building up on them. They were putting through ponds. It was ridiculous. And this guy, through all of that, ends up shooting 66 incredible front nine. I think he was four under on the front nine and then just birdied 17, birdied 18 coming home, one by three strokes over Sam Burns. 
And again, like I said at the top of the show, he showed flashes of really great golf over the course of 2021. He was the runner-up at the Waste Management. He needed to hit a 20-footer, I think, for birdie to get into a playoff with Brooks Kepka. Ended up missing it, but still, runner-up finish at the Waste Management. He had a top 20 at the Sony Open, a top 25 a couple weeks ago at the Valero Texas Open. I guess that was a couple. That was probably over a month ago now, but uh, top 25 a couple weeks ago at the Valspar. This week in the field, T to green, he was second in the field behind only the runner-up Sam Burns, and then he was also second in strokes gained approach this week, only behind uh, Willie Z, who had a who had a decent week. But I mean, he's always going to be at the top when it comes to strokes gained approach, so that is no surprise. But we're going to talk about him later when it comes to the PGA and also um, this week. But he was just really solid golf all the way around. Burns ended up shooting an even par on the opening nine holes on Sunday, and he definitely took advantage of that. He made the turn with a 32-4 under. And then birdied 17 to birdie 18, just put the absolute nail in it. Really, really, really good round of golf. Great win to get, like great first win. Right, it's a decent field. Nothing crazy. You didn't have gigantic name, a lot of gigantic names, but it was enough to make it a battle. Like the big guy, the big names in this field actually like didn't play that great. Like a lot of them didn't really make that much noise. They were like either missing the cut. I know Brooks missed the cut. Jordan was making noise at the start and then ended up not really being in contention on Sunday. And yeah, the big names didn't really end up really doing a whole lot, but. It was big enough, good enough field, really, really good first win. And then Sam Burns, fresh off of his first PGA Tour win just a few weeks ago, finished solo second. And he was going, he was the leader going into Sunday, and he just could not get anything going on that even par front nine. He couldn't make anything. His putter was ice, ice cold. Like he hit 83.3% of greens, I believe, on Sunday, but he lost over a stroke to the field with the flat stick. Like you can't do that, especially at a golf course. I know the weather was shitty on Sunday, but the golf course was still giving up a lot, a lot of birdies. And if you have a nine-hole stretch where you just go even par, you're going to get passed by a lot of guys. And that's exactly what happened. Cage Lee was making a bunch of birdies. Sam Burns did not do that, and he just could not get anything going uh, again, was great tee to green. He was first in this field in the strokes gain category in tee to green. So he had another really good week. He's going to be a guy to watch for the PGA Championship. I know he's not in my notes to talk about him later, but he's in such good form. Obviously, his last two starts are a win and a second. So he's in really good form. Great ball striker, really good off the tee. Obviously, first tee to green. It's just that putter can get ice, ice, ice cold, and he doesn't make anything. And that's going to be a little bit of a difference at a major like your your putter has to be so solid at a major championship to win and if he just gets a little iffy on the greens it's going to be really hard for him to finish in the side of the top 10 so i left him off who knows if he ends up on the card come wednesday when all that like the official i guess betting stuff comes out but for now we're not going to talk about him later but the rest of the top five Patton kazire daniel berger uh, scott stallings and charles schwartzel we're all tied for third. And then Jordan Speech, I Speeth, sorry. I touched on him a minute ago, but another top 10 finish for him, T9. He played great two of the days. Thursday and Saturday, he played really, really good golf. And then on Sunday and Friday, he was a combined three under, which again, if you're not shooting mid to upper high, if you want, like you have to shoot 65 to 68 pretty much on average every single round of a tournament like that to be inside the top five. And he just had two days where he just played okay golf. 
right? Like you wouldn't complain about a combined three under at like a normal golf tournament, like a Wells Fargo a couple, like a couple weeks ago, but at a tournament where guys are shooting 64, 63, 62, you need to make a bunch of birdies. Three under combined over two of the days just isn't going to be enough to get it done. But it was enough, obviously, for a top 10, even though we finished, what, seven behind the winner. So it was a lot. And especially, especially coming off of COVID-19, like your first start since having COVID and you top 10, that's pretty good. And then I was watching him on featured groups. I believe it was Thursday. It was either Thursday or Friday. I can't remember which one. But the big difference for me, obviously, he's always a good wedge player. He can always roll the rock. He's a really good iron player, good ball striker. But the difference is driver, right? If he's playing, Jordan is very popular because he plays golf. I don't want to say he plays golf like the common man because he doesn't. He is ridiculous when he gets around the greens and he's a crazy good iron player. But off the tee, he's very like inconsistent. Like he'll blow it in bushes. He'll blow it in the trees. Like he, his driver's kind of all over the place. His strokes game number like isn't crazy. I think he was like in the low 40th, like he was 42nd or 43rd in strokes gained off the tee this week. But on the tee, while I was watching him, he seems a lot more confident with driver in the hand. Like he has a plan going into every tee shot. Just a couple months ago, before he started going on this crazy run of top five, top 10, top 20 finishes, it seemed like he was stepping up to the tee and legitimately having no idea where the driver was going to go. All of a sudden, over this last month, month and a half, two months, the driver, I don't want to call it a weapon, but he looks more confident. He can hit a draw with it. He can hit a cut with it. I think he's a little bit better with a draw. He looks a lot more comfortable hitting a draw with the driver. I think he should should just stick to that. But again, confidence is the big thing. And with Jordan, his iron play, like I said, his iron wedge and short game play is just so good that you only have to be middle of the pack with a driver. You don't need to gain a stroke, stroke and a half, two strokes per round with the driver. If you just gain a partial stroke per round with the driver for Jordan, that's enough to compete. And that's what he does. I think I don't 42nd or 43rd, I believe in strokes gained off the tee this week. I think it was like, plus 0.43 per round or something like that, that's enough for Jordan to get it done. So he's definitely feeling a lot more confident with it. And it was really good to see because, again, it was um, a little awkward and not – it was just overall not great watching him hit tee shots over the last year and a half, but it's been very good of late. So that's going to be key going into the PGA Championship, which we're going to talk about obviously later, Jordan, but the driver is going to be the difference maker for him. And then betting-wise, to recap the AT&T Byron Nelson, because we want to jump into the PGA Championship, just a terrible, terrible week for the betting card. It was just really, really bad. Missed every single one. Like I said, I already highlighted the three main ones. A couple of our guys, I think, missed the cut. And then Scotty Scheffler looked great for, through the first uh, few days, and then over the weekend slowed down. He finished T47. Will Zalator struggled for the first days. He was kind of like the complete opposite. He ended up making the cut on the number, but then he would shot uh, 67 on both Saturday and Sunday, ended up finishing inside the top 20, two shots outside the top 10. So that would have been nice to have, but his first two days kind of wrecked him there. And then Aaron Wise was one back after Thursday. I think he shot like an opening round 64, I think, or something like that. And then look, that looked to be a top 30 lock after the first round. I'm like, oh, now he just has to end up shooting on average, maybe 69 the rest of the days. And that's going to be a top 30 lock. That's what we needed anyway. And then he shot even par one under one under over his last three rounds, just really bad for that 
golf course. Like you need to make a bunch of birdies. He just didn't do it. Even par one under one under. So two under after his 64 on Thursday. And then I don't even know. I think he finished like 40 something or even maybe even 50 something because of the amount of birdies everybody was making. So that kind of sucks. But we're looking to bounce back at the PGA. We've done really well at major championships before. The Masters, not so much, just because with the Masters, I bet a little bit more with my heart than my mind at the Masters, just because I'm going to bet on Rory to win every single year. And usually my guys, like I bet on Max, I bet on JT, all my guys. But for the US Open at Wingfoot, I think we were up like three units at Wingfoot. So we're looking to keep the major the major thing going. So let's jump into the PGA because I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on the AT&T Byron Nelson. I'm sure you guys listening don't give a fuck about that tournament because you're here to listen to the PGA Championship. Kiwa Island was the PGA host back in 2012. Roy McIlroy would go on to obliterate the field. The only player to reach double digits under par won it by eight strokes. That was the last time we were at Kiowa. I know um, there was obviously, that's not that long ago, right? Nine years ago. So there's a decent amount of guys that were there. I know Mark Leishman finished inside the top 30. If you guys are looking for somebody that has shown good form, ready at a top five at the Masters, he won the Zurich with Cameron Smith. There was obviously some guys there. But a lot of the young guys like Jordan and JT, they weren't in that tournament. Um, Will Zalatoris obviously wasn't in that tournament. A lot of the younger guys, Colin Morikawa, Scotty Scheffler, those guys weren't at Kiwa Island the first time. I know Colin was at, because I follow the PGA Championship up on Instagram, and I think Colin was there a couple, like a month, month and a half ago playing the golf course. So he's been down there. So the field, Dustin Johnson. So as I'm recording right now, he is in the field. He did. He's still world number one, which is a little bit surprising despite his recent struggles. He still holds that. He's in the field for now. He withdrew for the AT&T Byron Nelson doing a knee injury. He came out like with a big statement. I just think it's hilarious that anybody on DJ's team thinks that us as fans and us as like golf media would actually think Dustin Johnson would say something like that. It was like a four paragraph long, like condolence for the Byron Nelson that he wasn't going to be there. DJ would just be like, yeah, my knee doesn't feel good. I'm not coming, but he pulled out of that golf tournament. So we'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how bad it actually was. I'm sure if it was a bigger tournament, a more important tournament, he probably would have played, but I think he's in, I think, is this South Carolina? I think it's in South Carolina. I think he grew up in South Carolina, so this might be a really good spot for him to kind of bounce back and find his game again in his home state, but we'll see. And then as I go over the key stats later, this tournament is all going to be driving the ball well, accuracy plus distance, and controlling your spin with your wedges. Those two attributes make me think of world number one or world number two, excuse me, Justin Thomas. And he's in really good form. Since missing the cut at the Genesis, JT won the players, top 25 at the Masters, top 15 at the Valspar, and finished T26 a couple weeks ago at the Wells Fargo. He hasn't won a major since 2017, which I think is kind of a storyline that not, I don't want to say not enough people talk about because it definitely gets mentioned. But when you think of a player like Justin Thomas's caliber, he's won a bunch of tournaments since 2017, right? He has a player's championship. He won the WG. He's won a few WGCs, WGCs, excuse me. Like he's won gigantic golf tournaments. He's been in the mix at Augusta. He was, I think a top 10 finish at Wingfoot. He just hasn't won a major since 2017. So he's a little bit on a, you know, that's I don't want to say that's long, but that's long-ish for a guy like Jordan, uh, like Justin Thomas. But he's in really good form. Who knows? And then I'm not going to go over who else is in the field, other big names in the field, because it's it's everybody. It's fucking everybody except Tiger. Obviously, Tiger's not here. He's like 
still rehabbing. And I actually saw a news report, like our first, I guess if you want to call it a news report on Tiger's leg, I guess they're waiting for the blood flow to like come back to a hundred percent to like start the rehab process. So it's kind of like a, they called it a quote unquote, wait and see method. Like they're just waiting for his leg circulation to get a little bit better. And then the rehab process starts. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, the golf course, Kiwa Island, the ocean course, par 72, 7,876 yards. It's the longest course in major history. It's 135 yards longer than the old record holder. And that was Aaron Hills, who hosted the 2017 PGA Championship, which was Brooks Kepka's like, hello world moment. Like that's, I remember watching that PGA Championship and knowing a little bit about Brooks, but I'm like, oh, this is kind of, I don't want to say a nobody, but it was at that time. It was just like, oh, this is cool. Like a new guy is a winner at the PGA championship. Like that's dope. His wife was there super high, or a girlfriend at the time. Probably. I think they just got engaged or just married. So girlfriend at the time was there and they were all super pumped and not a lot of people like knew about Brooks Kapka. And obviously now he's one of what four majors since then, or including that one. It's a Pete Dye design 1991. And they're on green, they're on grass that you may have not heard about before. Originally, when it was constructed in the early 90s, they were doing Bermuda, gra- uh, Bermuda greens in grass, I'm pretty sure, throughout the entire thing. But they have moved to seashore uh, paspalum, paspalum greens. I don't, know how to pronounce, I don't know how to pronounce that word, but that's the kind of grass. What I've heard about it is, and I've already kind of put it into the betting article for this week. If you guys are interested in looking at it, or if you guys know who the fried egg is on YouTube and Twitter on that kind of stuff, they do a really good job of like course flyovers and kind of course previews and stuff. Uh, I've already linked it in the article, but it's a really good video. If you guys just want to aerial shots of the, of the golf course and get it to know a little bit better, but they were mentioning on in that video that the grass plays a little bit slow. So I don't know if that has anything to do with green speed, like if they're not going to stimp it to 12, 13, like they would for like a major championship, but the fairways and rough, I guess, play slow. So, but let's go over some of the holes. So the first hole, definitely a die handshake for this one. If you guys know, sawgrass is a pretty handshaky first hole, right? If you you hit a good drive, you're going to have a short iron into that hole. This is the same thing. Number one, 396 yards par four. Definitely a gentle, gentle start to the championship. Really narrow fairway, but again, you're probably not going to be hitting driver on this hole. It's going to be driving iron, three wood, five wood, something like that. Waste area to the right, thick dunes, grass to the left. Good drive. That's all you really need. And then short iron into like a tucked away green. This hole is probably going to give up a lot of birdies. Like don't be surprised after I go over a few of the first couple holes that if somebody goes out, if they're starting on the front nine on Thursday, goes out and like starts a tournament two or three under through three holes. We might see that. Number two is a 557-yard par five, another really good scoring uh, opportunity, but it kind of depends on the wind, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, Number three is another short par four. I think this is the shortest par four on the course. It's only 390 yards. This is the hole that has the, uh, the tree, like protecting the right side of the green. That's the tree that uh, they actually replaced it since because I think the original one died. But this is the one that Rory's uh, tee shot got stuck in the tree and then he had to take a drop and he still ended up making par. Uh, The fourth hole, this is where it kind of like kicks into gear. So again, don't be surprised if somebody goes two, three under through the first three holes. Like those ones are very gettable. And then you get to number four and it's a 484 yard par four. 
um, considered the toughest hole on the outward nine. 26 yards longer than it played in 2012. Pretty generous landing area for your tee shot, but the second shot is going to be is going to be long. Depending on the wind, depending on the player, a guy could have seven iron, eight iron into that green, or you could be hitting hybrid into that green. So it's going to be it's going to be one to watch. And then the par threes on this golf course are phenomenal. They all look different. They're not the same. They're not cookie cutter. The greens are fantastic. One of them very much looks like uh, seventeen at Pebble, like the long. Um, uh, hourglass shaped green. It's very, very awesome. Number five is the first of those par threes, 207 yards. Number six is a mammoth par four, 490 yards. Uh, number seven is 579 yards par four. I don't, that's crazy. I don't know. That's insane. That has to be a typo, right? I think that's a typo in this little article, in this little, in this little course preview thing. That doesn't make any sense has to be a par five i'm gonna call it a par five because 579 yard par four would just be like the most unfair thing i've ever heard so i don't know about that uh number eight another one of the really good par uh par threes just ever just waste area right you have to hit a good golf shot number eight 197 yards par three uh number nine 514 yards par four so another mammoth par four to end that word nine uh number 10 447 yards par four Again, this is one of those par fours that are probably going to be pretty, pretty gettable for the guys, especially if they're a longer hitter, right? If you average 300 off the tee, you're only going to have a pitching wedge into that green probably. Number 11 is a par five, 593 yards. Number 12 is 484 yard par four. Number 13, 497 yard par four. Number 14, 238 yard par three. And this is a gorgeous hole. This is one of the first holes that is like on the ocean. It's the only thing you can see is the ocean to the right. Like it's not in play for anybody, but that's the backdrop of the hole. Waste bunker to the left, really big collection area to the front and right of the green. It's gonna be gorgeous. That's gonna be one to watch because that is a big par three. Number 15, 466 yard par four, pretty straight away. Must find the fairway if you're going to attack the hole because it's got shit on either side of it. Uh, number 16 is 581 yard par five. Number 17 is another par three. This one's gorgeous. This actually, this hole reminds me of um, what is the, what hole is that at the Honda Classic as PGA National? I can't remember if it's the start of the bear trap or the second par three on the bear trap. I forget which one it is, but it's the one with like the bulkhead short of the green and it's all water from the start of the green pretty much all the way up to the right. Like if you hit like a little, like a queefy left or right shot that doesn't have a lot of distance on it, it's absolutely going in the water. So you need to stand up there and hit a committed golf shot. And then on the left-hand side, it's like bunkers. So the only, the only spot you can pretty much hit it on this hole is you just got to play to the back number of the green pretty much and just hope you hit a solid strike. And then 18 is a mammoth finisher, par four, 505 yards. So you can see the clubhouse in the distance, water's on the left and, and short, but it's not in play. It's kind of just probably more aesthetic, if anything. And it's going to be really awesome. Um, a lot of the greens, Pete Dye's wife, actually, I believe her name was Alice, if I remember correctly, had a lot to do with the design of this golf course. Um, it was her idea to make a lot of the greens elevated, which makes it I believe a little bit, uh, I don't want to call it photogenic, but having, you know, the greens elevated off of the fairway a little bit, make it really awesome. But 
it also makes it way more difficult. A lot of runoff areas, all the greens kind of like upside down bowl. Like if you hit the edge of the green, it's most likely going to roll off. Elevated green brings the wind more into play. So it's just a really, really hard golf course. And like, sure, those attributes are fine on like a normal length golf course. When you combined the accuracy you need with irons with you need to be able to hit it probably on average over 300 yards to keep cup up because it's over 7,800 yards. It's just a ridiculous, ridiculous number. But again, if you guys don't want to wait till Wednesday to watch this flyover video, it's really, really awesome. It's like the fried egg on YouTube, I think is what their channel is called. And it's just like a 10 minute low, it's called a low country landscape, the ocean course at Kiwa Island. It's just a, such a good video if you guys are interested in, I know we just went over a little bit of it, but if you want to see the visuals in learning about the golf course before the tournament starts on Thursday, because obviously we, the last time we were here was 2012 and maybe you weren't even like old enough to be into golf or you weren't into golf at the time or like didn't really pay attention to the core stuff. If you guys want to get familiar with the golf course, it is a really, really good video. And then the no laying up guys, um, in one of their seasons of, they do a show on YouTube. I forget what it's called. I just watched it on uh, Twitter today, but they actually played it and a couple of them played it from tipped out yardage. So you'll be able to see how the wind affects it, kind of the lines off the tee because a couple of the guys are good players. So you kind of understand a little bit more, but their video is on YouTube also. And then this is what I meant by moderate wind. So let's go over the weather. Uh, Tuesday, when you guys are listening to this, it's going to be 77 down there. Uh, no rain, 13 mile an hour winds. Wednesday is going to be 78, sunny, pretty much uh, no chance of rain, pretty much 14%. And then 13 mile an hour winds. Thursday, the first tournament day, really sunny, not a cloud in the sky, 78 degrees, 14% chance of rain and 13 mile an hour winds. Friday is going to be 80, partly cloudy, 5% chance of rain, 11 mile an hour winds. Saturday, 83 degrees, partly cloudy, 6% chance of rain and 10 mile an hour winds. And then Sunday, the final day is going to be partly cloudy, 85 degrees, 5% chance of rain and 10 mile an hour winds. So on the, on the days that count, Thursday through Sunday, the highest wind that we're going to see right as of right now when we're recording when I'm recording the show is 13 miles an hour on Thursday. It gets warmer as the week goes on, 78, 80, 83 and then 85. And then pretty much after Thursday, even though Thursday is only 14% chance of rain, like we're not going to see any rain this week. So it's going to play firm probably. Again, I don't know if it's going to play firm and fast because they did say that this kind of grass is a little bit slower, kind of slows everything down once it hits fairway and hits rough. So we'll have to see about that. But again, that's only moderate wind, right? At this place, it's so exposed to the ocean that if one thing changes in the weather, we could see the wind really hop up there miles per hour, but it's only projected to be 10 to 13 miles an hour. So that's very, very playable for these guys, which if that ends up being the case, they're going to get a little bit lucky because this golf course can really show its teeth. If it goes on the, if it gets on the windy side, just right on the ocean like that, it would be death <laughs> if it got, if it got windy around there. But as of right now, it's not supposed to be too bad. Uh, key stats. I mentioned a couple things earlier, but Let's look at some stats uh, for this week. Driving ability. And I put ability in that phrase just because it's not all about distance this week. Sure, distance is going to help at a course that's 7,800 yards plus. But if you are consistently offline with your driver, like if you don't have good command of your driver when you step up to a tee box and you don't know what the miss is going to be, you're going to have a really, really, really long day. Die is really good at making the lies look weird. The lines look weird. Excuse me. The fairways are like 
diagonal to a lot of the tee boxes, so you need to play for that. Water could be in play on the right. I forget what hole it is. It's either three or four. I think it's on the front side. But water is in play all the way down the right. It's a short par four all the way down the right. And then bunkers just protect anything left. So if you want to lay up and just hit iron off the tee and take the bunkers out of play, you're going to have a mid iron into that green. But if you want to hit driver, you need to put it in between the bunkers and the water. It's just really tough in a lot of the holes like that. So you need to be in control of your driver. So somebody that combines accuracy with decent to good distance off the tee is going to have a huge advantage when it comes to uh, off the tee play. And then wedge play this week is going to be very, very important. Around Kiowa, you're going to have wedges for multiple reasons, for several reasons, right? If you're in a shit spot off of the tee and need to just get it out of the out of the crap, find the fairway, you're going to have a wedge in your hand. A few of the sharp, short par fours are going to put wedges in your hand. And then players who are unable to go for par fives, because not everybody is going to be able to go for these par fives, right? You take a Kevin Kisner, who averages, what, 285 off the tee, and these par fives are 290 yards long, they're not going to be able to get there. So all of a sudden, that puts a wedge in your hand. So this golf course, I feel like, puts wedges in players' hands more than a lot of golf courses. Like Wingfoot did the same thing, right? When you found the rough at Wingfoot, you couldn't get to the green. You had to wedge it out and then hit wedges onto those impossible greens. Kiowa is going to put wedges in your hand a lot, and you just have to take advantage of that. Also, like I went over, the turtleback greens, right? The upside-down bowl greens where anything like near the edge of the green is going to roll off into a collection area, into the rough, or just on the wrong section of the green, you need to be able to control your spin with the wedges. Like if you're not a good wedge player, it's going to be a nightmare for you. So you just need to control the wedge wedges really, really well. And then the last one that I highlighted is short game. All major championships, you need to bring short game, right? Patrick Reed won the Masters. His short game is incredible. Tiger Woods, second most majors ever. His short game is one of the best short games to ever to ever be in the game of golf. Phil Mickelson, same thing, right? Multi, several time major champion. His short game is ridiculous. So it comes down, you always need a really, 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 really good short game at major championships. And around Kiowa, you're going to find yourself in weird spots, right? Like 40, 50 yard bunker shots, a lot of bunker shots, green side. You're going to be in crap, right? You need to be in runoff areas around these turtleback greens. You need to be able to get up and down a good amount of time. And that's going to be one of the things that I highlight once we talk about the players is we're going to target guys that are really good out of the sand, right? They're saying the sand save percentage is really high because you're going to need that down at Kiwa Island, the ocean course. Uh, some of the data golf information, course fit. The number one is actually TPC Scottsdale, which I found a little bit surprising to be honest, I did not expect that golf course to be first when I went into data golf this morning, but that is number first, uh, or number one, excuse me. Number two is Keen Trace Golf Club. I've honestly never heard of that golf course. And then number three is Memorial Park Golf Course. I also am not very familiar with that place. So the only one that I really know is uh, Scottsdale. Again, that one is confusing to me. Like he was like on the ocean. I guess if you get off the fairway, it's just shit in the desert. If you get off the fairway, it's just shit. So maybe that's where it kind of comes into play. But we'll see. Uh, trending of the players in the field. Number one is Brian Harmon. His last three starts, T12, T13, and T18. It would take a just a hero effort out of Brian Harmon to get close this week just because of how long it is, right? Almost an 8,000-yard golf course. Brian Harmon hits it, what, 280 off the tee? That would be a heroic effort. 
Number two is Cameron Smith, who I just now realized reading his name that I didn't write notes on Cameron Smith when we get down to these players, but he's going to be a guy to watch for sure. He plays well in majors. He kills the Masters pretty much every year. He's in contention at the Masters all the time. He has other high finishes at other uh, major championships. But in Aussie, he's going to be good in the wind. He feels like when it's windy, it's an advantage for him. If the wind picks up a little bit, Cameron Smith is going to be a guy to look to. In his last three starts, T17, T10, and T9. And then he also just won the Zurich with Mark Leishman. So he's in crazy good form at a golf course where if the wind picks up, that would be an advantage for him for sure. And if I look it up really quick, I don't know if you guys go on the PGA uh, tour website at all to check out like some of the guys stats or something. But for some reason, like I'm on Rory's page now, cause he was the last guy I wrote about. But sometimes when you go on this website, it's fucking annoying. Sometimes like it just says this page is not available for when you're just looking for some like a random guy. Cameron Smith. Let's see if his page pops up. Yep. So his page pops up. He's averaging uh, 297 off the tee. So that's long enough to keep up with everybody, right? You you want to see that number right around 300 yards at this golf at this golf course for sure. The old problem with him is his driving accuracy is down. He's 136th on tour this season driving accuracy. So that would have to change this week. But I just think him in the wind just makes way too much sense as he's been in the mix at majors before. That would be a great pick. And then number three is actually Jordan Spieth with a win T3 and a T9. So, I mean, that dude is playing some fucking golf. Percent chance to win. Baseline, course history, course fit, all that stuff data golf takes into account and gives you these. John Rahm is number one at 5.5%. Victor Hovland is number two at 3.9%. And then also at number two is Justin Thomas at 3.9%. So that's what the boys over at data golf have. Um, if you want to go a little bit further, top um, five is Daniel Berger at 3.7. And then they actually have Xander Shoffley, which is a guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later here at 3.6%. So that's their top five. Going over some of the betting odds, Roy McIlroy, our guy, is actually the betting favorite at DraftKings. And I think he's also the betting favorite at FanDuel. If I um, reload FanDuel real quick, that's right in front of my face. DraftKings, he's plus 1,000. Uh, he is plus 1100 on FanDuel. So if you guys are, um, I don't want to call them members at both or have an account at both, whatever, um, you can actually make more money on FanDuel most of the time, actually with most of the picks. John Rahm is plus 1200. Justin Thomas is plus 1200. So is Bryson. Jordan's at 14. Hovland's at 16. Xander's at 16. DJ's all the way down at 18. So that's going to be a guy that if you can get decent odds for him for probably like a top, what 20 finish i know that he has some top like six or six top tens at the pga over the last like 15 years or something like that he usually plays decently at the pga he was in the mix at harding park just obviously if he has an injury and he hasn't been played good golf that's the reason why he's that low but it's it's always weird to see the world number one like at like the eighth all the way down to the list of 1,800. Uh, Colin is at 22. Daniel Berger's at 28. Cameron Smith, the guy that I just talked about, is at 33. Reed is also at 33. Masters champion Matsuyama's at 33. Webb Simpson's at 33. Tony Finau's at 35, which I haven't heard his name in a long time. What's Finau been up to? Let's look what Finau's been up to. Let me find him real quick on PGA.com. Nope, that's Dow Finisterwald. Clicked on the wrong name. I feel like I haven't heard that man's name in months. And I don't know, has he just been like hanging out in Utah, just playing that long ass golf course? Tony Finau. 
let's see. Man, that's crazy. I said his name on the odds and it like stopped me because I didn't. Yeah, so we top 10 to the Masters. He played really well. Top 20 at the Zurich, obviously partner event. Um, but he missed the cut at the Wells Fargo, missed the cut at the Valero Texas Open, missed the cut at the Players. So who knows? The only really good start didn't get into the round of 16 at the match play. So his last good start was really the Masters because that's a team event in Zurich. So his last, what, four uh, solo events, he has only made one cut, and that was at the Masters. So that's probably why we haven't heard his name in a long time because he hasn't been playing very well. But Tony Finau, again, he plays a long golf course in Utah. I think it's over 8,000 yards all the time, so he could be used to that kind of stuff. It gets windy out there. He might be like a sneaky good pick if you think that he can overcome the recent missed cuts because I feel like that golf course... Um, just because of the length and the, his ability to drive the ball, that actually could be a good name to look at. Matty Fitz is at four, Answers at four, Ustazen's at four, and Will Z is at four, which he has been in the mix at multiple majors. I think he was, obviously, he was in, what, the runner-up at the Masters, but then he also finished, I think, T6 at Wingfoot. So we already showed that he can play with the big boys, but especially at major championship venues, he can play with the big boys, right? Are those the last two majors? Or the Masters, I guess, was after, but it's pretty good though, right? Two top tens at your last in your last three majors, like that's pretty damn good. So let's get into some bets. Let's talk about it. We need a bounce back week. Obviously, it was really bad at the Byron Nelson. Didn't hit a single bet, but I feel pretty good about the guys that we're going to talk about. Already working on the betting article for Wednesday for the picks, and it looks pretty good to me. So. When I went over key stats and all that kind of stuff, driving ability was one of the ones that I said. And by ability, I mean solid distance in driving accuracy. And this is a guy that whenever that is important, I mention, and we've won some money the last couple of times we bet on him, and that's Abraham Answer. He averages 290 off the tee, which isn't long by any means, right? But it's enough to keep up with the guys that hit it 305, 310, right? 290 is decent enough. I know he hit a couple long drives at the Wells Fargo. Like I think 353 was his longest drive for the week. So he can get it out there when he wants to. But he's third this season in driving accuracy, which is the big thing. He hits over 72% of his fairways, 72.31% of his fairways. He's in. That's gigantic at Kiowa, right? Getting off the tee, being in play at Kiowa Island is so important, right? If you're not in play off the tee, you're just not going to be able to contend at this golf tournament. You're going to be hitting out of crap, out of bunkers, out of waste areas, out of bushes, out of that stuff that's always near the ocean, right? You're going to be hitting it out of shit. Hitting fairways is so important. And Answer does that almost better than anybody. In 2019, he finished T16 at the PGA Championship, which was held at Bethpage Black, a monster golf course where you need to hit fairways. Sounds familiar, right? So he had a top 20 at a golf course. I'm not saying that Beth Page is anything like Kiwa Island because if you looked at aerial shots, you probably couldn't <laughs> get two different golf courses. But the fairways at Beth Page are mad skinny. The rough is really high. You need to hit fairways. And it's just really important. It's a monster golf course too. And he top 20 to that PGA championship. That's always something to look at. And he plays pretty well at majors. Since missing the cut at the Genesis Invitational out in LA, 
He's finished outside the top 25 one time, and that was a T26 at the Masters. He's coming off his best uh, start of the season, finishing solo uh, solo runner-up to Rory at the Wells Fargo. And the week before that, he was solo fifth at the Valspar. On FanDuel, you can he's actually minus money for a top 30 on DraftKings, like minus a lot, like minus 130, I think. But on FanDuel, he's plus 125 for a top 30. So I think that, if we go to answer... I think I like him more than a top 30, but that kind of value for that kind of player in that spot is almost too much to pass up. Like plus odds for him for a top 30 is crazy, I think. Matt Wallace is another guy. He hits the shit out of the golf ball, really good off the tee. In his last five-stroke play events, his worst finish is T34 at the Masters. In that span, he has four top 25 finishes, two top sixes, his best being a solo third at the Valero Texas Open behind Jordan Spieth and Charlie Hoffman. And his most recent start was at Quail Hollow, finishing T6. So his last start was a top 10. Back in 2019 at Beth Plage, again, at, at the Black Horse, he finished third. And then in 2018 at Bell Reeve, he finished in the top 20. So he's played well at PGA Championships and especially Beth played. You need to drive it, like I just said, with answer. You need to drive it well, excuse me, with distance. Matt Wallace can do that. So he's going to be a guy. And then this season on tour strokes gain-wise, he's 8th on tour tee to green and 29th in strokes gained around the green. So his short game is really solid, which, again, is something that you like to see at a major championship. Talking about short game. Let's go to the best short game on the PGA Tour, and that's Patrick Reed, who's like slowly but quickly becoming like a problem when it comes to major championships. He has four straight top 20s in majors, and that pretty much is he can thank that because of his wedge play, his short game, and his putter. That's what he really does really, really well. Has one, if, like I just said, has one of the best, if not the best, short games on tour, and he ranks second in strokes in putting this season on tour. That's plays anywhere. If you can roll the rock, that's going to help you at any golf tournament you play in. And that's why Patrick Reed is always in contention at these kind of events, including the U.S. Open. He's played in 13 tournaments since the start of the new season. He's missed three cuts. But in his other nine stroke play events, he hasn't finished outside the top 22. So when he makes the cut at a stroke play event, he finishes in the top inside the top 25. That might be something to think about depending on what kind of odds you can get for Patrick. His last three starts, a T8 at the Masters, a miscut at the Valspar, and a T6 at the Wells Fargo. Sand saves will be key around this golf course. I mentioned it. Your bunker play has to be really good. You're going to find him off the tee. You're going to find him greenside. You might even find one that's like 40, 50 yards short of the green. It really needs to be good. Reed is ninth on tour this season in sand save percentage. Again, just kind of plays to his short game. His short game is really good. When he gets in the sand, he's probably going to get it up and down. That's huge. Moving on to our next guy, talking about sand, uh, sand save percentage, Mr. Zandy's, Xander Shoffley. Golf media, people within golf media like to call him a big game hunter, even though, and I've on this show have called him that. Early in the show, I have called him a big game hunter, but that was what now, 35 weeks ago? He has not won a golf tournament since the beginning of 2019. He was in the mix at the Masters, right? He was right there. What was he down by one going to 16 and then plunk, triple bogey, awful. So it's that thing with Xander. He top five at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. He's always in the mix, but can he get it done is going to be the huge question. His 2021 season so far has been fantastic. He's only had two finishes at two finishes outside the top 20, and that came back-to-back starts at the players and at concession. Other than that, he's been inside the top 20 all year long. 
his two solo starts since a miscut at the players, T3 at the Masters, T14 at the Wells Fargo. He can struggle to hit fairways. He ranks 129th on tour this season in fairways and regulation. But if he can control the driver, if he can bring that dispersion in a little bit and hit more fairways at Kiowa, he's long off the tee. He's like sneaky long. When you look at him, you don't think he's that long, but he averages over 306 yards off the tee, which ranks 26th on tour. He is sneaky long now. So if he can bring in the dispersion, like I said, and hit more fairways at Kiowa, he is going to be a problem. And then this year on tour, speaking of bunker play with Patrick Reed, he is the best bunker player on tour when it comes to sand save percentage. He gets it up and down out of bunkers 69.35% of the time. He is the best bunker player on tour. That's going to come in handy around Kiowa. Can get he's a pretty solid putter. I forget I forget what he is strokes gained putter wise, but I know over the last I'm going to see if I can find it. The putter has become very solid for Xander. Like it's it used to be kind of I don't want to say held him back, but he he didn't used to be a great putter. But yeah, this season on tour he's eighth in strokes gained putting. Second strokes gained total. So this dude is just really good, man. Fifth in birdie average, third in scoring average. Like I said, first in sand state percentage. He's fourth in the FedEx Cup. So his season has just been ridiculous. He just needs to get a win. And he doesn't, I can't remember if one of his wins is a WGC. I don't even think it is. I'm going to look at his wins real quick. I don't even know if he has like a big win. Oh, the tour championship and a WGC. So yeah, yeah, I guess he has a couple good ones. Won the Green Buyer, won the Tour Championship. That was the year that um, who won the who won the FedEx Cup that year? I forget. Uh, WGC, HSBC, and then he won the um, STC in twenty nineteen. That was his last win. It's crazy to think that was his last win. But yeah, he's just got to come out and get it done. He's one of those players that like we all know he's mad good. He always has good stroke, strokes gain stats. Everything about his game is really, really good, and he just doesn't win. So he's going to have to get it done at some point. And then a quick little thing about Jordan Spieth. So if you guys don't use, um, especially if you guys play like fantasy stuff, I know a lot of you guys that listen to this show obviously are more a little bit more, maybe more on the betting side, the fantasy side. But if you guys are on the fantasy side, you got to go to fantasynational.com and sign up. It's a paid thing. I think it's like maybe like 20 bucks a month, but if you're really into fantasy, it's really worth it. I have it for the show purpose, but you can narrow down so much stuff with this tool. Like you can narrow down everything. Like you can view stats on strokes, gain birdies and bogeys, fairways and greens, proximity, par three efficiency, five, four, par four efficiency, putting, custom stat model, everything. You can go from sample size from the last four rounds to the last 100 rounds. You can pick golf courses. You can pick time frame. You can pick the tour. You can pick the season, scoring relative to par, what kind of greens it is, green firmness, hitting fairways, rough length, green speed, what par the golf course is, um, course length, wind conditions, architect. Like You can narrow down everything, and that's what I did for – uh, Jordan, Justin Thomas, and Rory, who are the next or the last three guys that we're going to talk about. When it comes to Jordan, Jordan is probably going to be, if I had to put my money on it, I think he is going to be the most bet on name, I think, this week. He needs the PGA to complete the great, uh, career Grand Slam. He's a ridiculous wedge player, ridiculous short game. And all of a sudden, like I said, he feels a little bit more confident with the driver. So it all kind of makes sense that a lot of money is going to go on Jordan this week. He's 29th on tour when it comes to show, um, sand state percentage. And then this is where this comes in. It's just really awesome. 
in his last 50 rounds in difficult scoring conditions on courses longer than 7,400 yards. He's ninth on tour strokes gain total, 16th in short game, uh, third around the green. His putting is a little iffy at 62, but it's just so awesome being able to narrow down what kind of golf course they're going to play this week and get all those kind of numbers. So Jordan, relatively ninth in strokes gain total in that kind of conditions, is pretty good over his last 50 rounds. So Again, I, just, I mentioned that sometimes pro, player profiles don't work on PGATour.com. Jordan, for some reason today, is one of those. I couldn't see any Jordan stats. Bullshit. Anyway, he's going to be, just because of his wedge game, short game, his putter, if he can hit fairways, he's going to be a problem for the rest of this field because he does everything else really, really well. He seems confident right now. COVID-19 didn't affect him that much. It doesn't seem like, especially his form, it didn't affect him. A top 10 at the Byron Nelson. He's going to be one of the more bet on names this week, and I get why. Second to last one, Justin Thomas. We had to talk about Justin. Again, his wedge game is incredible. Fourth on tour this season from 50 to 125 yards. That's the wedge play. That's where the wedge yardages come in, and he's fourth on tour. He's second in strokes and approach this season on tour. He's 10th in strokes and around the green, and he's decent out of the bunkers. He's 54th on tour in uh, Sansei percentage. The driver is going to be the difference maker for JT. It always is. It seems it's that in the putter, right? His putter is a little bit iffy sometimes, but when he hits fairways, he plays really well. This season on tour, when Justin Thomas hits more than 60% of fairways, he doesn't have a finish worse than 13th. So when he hits the majority of, not even a little bit more than a majority of fairways, over 60%, he's going to finish inside the top 15 because everything else in his game is so, so good. And he averages 301 off the tee. It's not short. 301 is perfect. That's that's pretty good. I don't know what position that is for him, like what where that ranks him. I can look it up real quick. But 301 is plenty long enough on the tee to keep up with everybody else. And you can see it. Like when he plays with Bombers, like he's with, I mean, he's with Rory when he plays with Rory. He's with, well, maybe not Bryson, but he's with DJ. That driving distance ranks uh, 53rd on tour. So it's right around his um, sand state percentage. Uh Again, same stat as Jordan. Last 50 rounds in difficult scoring conditions on courses longer than 7,400 yards. He's 14th in strokes gain total, 9th tee to green, 25th ball striking, um, 26th off the tee, and 8th around the greens. Again, his putting number is not great, 137. It's still like a light green according to this website. But again, that's not great. But he does everything else well. That if he putts decently and he hits over 60% of fairways, he's going to be in the mix at QI Island. That's just how it comes down to it. And it'd be cool. Hasn't won a major since 2017. I mean, it wouldn't be cooler than the guy that we're going to talk about next winning. But seeing Justin Thomas lift another PGA Championship trophy would be pretty awesome. And then the last guy that we're going to talk about before we get out of here today is our guy, is Roy McIlroy. We're going to talk about him. Like I said at the start of the show, or a couple, 10 minutes ago, the last time the PGA was played at Kiwa Island Ocean Course, Rory was the only player to reach double digits under par and won the tournament by eight shots. In his most recent start, he grabbed his first win in over a year and a half. The only stat that does worry me about that start at the Wells Fargo, just because he was driving it so far and the rough wasn't super penalizing, his fairway percentage was terrible. He only hit 30%, 34% of fairways for the week. If he does that again at Kiwa Island, he's got no shot. I get missing a fairway by like a yard or two at Kiwa. You're fine doing that. The rough isn't super penalizing. But if you're way off the mark, you are in absolute hell 
and you won't be able to score very well. And that's the one part that worries me about Rory. Everything else looked really good, really good, actually, at the Wells Fargo. But if that happens again, if he hits less than 40% of fairways, he's going to have uh, he's gonna have a hard time competing with everybody else. He's also one of the best bunker players on tour. And we saw that at Quill Hollow a few weeks ago. He got up and down a lot, multiple spots on Sunday, helping him seal the win. The bunker play was huge. And he's just a really good bunker player. I don't think people give him enough credit for how good he is out of the sand. He ranks 23rd on tour this season um, in sand save percentage. Distance off the tee, obviously, will not be a problem for Rory. He ranks second on tour in driving distance, averaging nearly 319 yards off the tee, and he's fifth in strokes gained off the tee. And then, again, pulled a couple things from Fantasy National. In his last 50 rounds on courses longer than 7,400 yards, in moderate wind, which is the wind that's projected this week, in difficult scoring conditions, so pretty much narrowed down to the last 50 rounds where he played golf courses in conditions like he's going to see at Kiwa Island this week. Strokes gain numbers. Second strokes gain total. First strokes gain TD green. First strokes gain ball striking. First strokes gained off the tee. Second strokes gained approach. 36th around the green. Like this dude on long golf courses and moderate wind when it's really difficult to score. That's where Rory plays a lot of his best golf. And that's what we saw in 2012, right? Everybody else was barely getting to four under. He shot 12 under. Like that's the difference. He plays well. You can think about Bay Hill. Bay Hill is a beast of a golf course, right? I think it plays over 7,400 yards, 7,500 yards. It's usually really windy. He's won that golf tournament and he's finished inside the top 10 a lot at that golf tournament. Like those are one of the, Quail Hollow, another long golf course that he really, really likes. He plays well at those uh, those kind of golf courses, right? Genesis, he's, he's seen some good results there. And then proximity numbers. In those same in those same categories, right? You see it twenty. This actually stat is kind of surprising. Seventy five yards to one hundred yards. He's actually twenty sixth in his last fifty rounds in all those same conditions. This is where you see it go a little awry, right? One hundred to one twenty five. He's one twenty, and then one twenty five to one fifty. He's one hundred and fifty first. Like that's not good. But then when you get this, right? One fifty to one seventy five. He's fifth. One seventy five to two hundred. He's seventh, and then two hundred plus yards proximity. He's fifth at golf courses that are long and moderate wind, difficult scoring conditions, last 50 rounds. So that's what he does. He's a good mid to long iron player. He can get it going. And his wedges looked a lot better, like I'm about to talk about. But these kind of golf courses that are longer, it just fit Rory. And sure, that has a little bit to do with driving distance, but he's just also a really good long iron player and good out of bunkers. And then at the Wells Fargo, he showed sign of better wedge play, right? And that was one of the big things that he got with Pete Cohen was about was kind of, I don't want to say converting the wedge play, but maybe a little bit flatter of a ball flight, a little bit lower. Don't be, don't swing so hard at wedges, right? You never want to hit a wedge 100%. It seemed like Rory tried to do that all the time. All of his wedge swings at the Wells Fargo seemed to be like 80%, little caught off cuts. Like that's what it needs to be, Right. And it looked really good in his first tournament under, not under Pete Cohen, but like the first time that we got to see four rounds in one week, the first time he made a cut with Pete Cohen. And then I think, right, he hasn't, he didn't play in the tournament last week. So the last time we saw him was when he was lifting the trophy at the Wells Fargo. So a couple more weeks to practice with Cohen with the wedge play, practice the cut, right? Find him a couple more go-to shots. I think he's going to be good. And then I think it's even going to be better this week than it was hopefully at the Wells Fargo. And then at the Wells Fargo, he was 
uh, this is proximity. He was uh, 65th from 100 to 125, right? Okay. It's decent, right? First, he was first in proximity from 125 to 150. I don't think I've ever seen Rory rank first in that category before. It's insane. It's insane. And then he was sixth from uh, 150 to 175. So in that range where he's hitting, what, gap wedge to nine iron, eight iron, he was on average, what, third in proximity? Really good. That's really, really good. And then we all know that he's already a good long iron player. So those long holes, are those long par threes, he's going to be able to take advantage of that. He's going to even... Like on a 220-yard par four, like some guys are going to have hybrid. Guys like Rory and DJ and JT are going to have probably like five or four iron in there. That's an advantage to that, right? So though, guys, that's the PGA Championship preview. Like always, the all the betting stuff, all the official betting stuff, quote unquote, is going to come out uh, Wednesday. I'm actually going to try to get it out Tuesday afternoon for you guys this week, just so you have a little bit more time to read it, maybe plug your bets in for the week. So hopefully we can get that out tomorrow. The betting video, although will not come out until Wednesday, that'll be a little separate thing, but that's the PGA uh, preview. Very, very excited for this week. Social wise, follow the show at twilight nine pod is where you can find us on IG. My personal one is Riley Hamill underscore on Instagram, the same things on Twitter, and I think it's the same thing on TikTok. We're posting a couple highlight videos a week on that also. But yeah, follow all the socials, uh, share the show around, and enjoy the golf this weekend, man. So many good guys playing good golf. I can't wait to watch Jordan, Rory, JT. Hopefully DJ comes back. Call Morikawa just because of his iron play is going to be right in the mix. Xander, Answer, all those boys playing really good golf. Matty Fitzpatrick, Cameron Smith. Like there is a lot of dudes that can win this golf tournament. And I cannot wait from Thursday to Sunday, sit my ass on the couch and just watch golf. ESPN is doing it Thursday and Friday from 7 to 7, I think. And then they also start at 7 each day over the weekend. And I think CBS cover um, picks it up for like the last couple hours of coverage just to like say they had it or whatever. But CBS will be um, on the course. Obviously, Faldo and Nance, which will be awesome. I always love uh, listening to Nance do golf. But enjoy the golf this weekend, guys. It's going to be really, really awesome. Hopefully, we hit some bets and bounce back from the Byron Nelson. But again, enjoy the PGA Championship, the second major of the year. And I will talk to you guys next week to recap everything. Peace.